we learned last week, we are God's what? Workmanship. For you are God's workmanship created how? In Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are God's workmanship, and he is the artist of your soul. And he is crafting you into the person he wants you to be. And he has designed you to do good work. Are you saved by your good works? No. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We don't have any room to boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto, to do good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I have been preaching about forwarding God's care from the book of Ephesians. And God's care received has been the theme of these first few messages. This one is the last in God's care received. We start next week in chapter 3 with God's care expressed. Beautiful text of Scripture that we're going to look at and how God expresses His care toward us and we toward others. But in this matter of God's care received now today, I want to go to the middle of chapter 2, right after the verse that I've quoted about God's workmanship. And you'll note in the first word there, it says, therefore, in the NIV, therefore, remember. And therefore, y'all ought always figure out what it's there for, okay? Therefore, points back to you're saved by grace and you're God's workmanship, Created to do good works. Therefore, remember in this task of doing the work of God that he's called you to do. Submitting to his hands so that he crafts you and makes you his own every day. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. I've underlined that in all the Bibles I've ever used. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. 
and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Three paragraphs in these verses, three movements of thought and text. The first is this. Jesus is the stranger who joined us. That first paragraph describes our condition. We are in conflict with one another, Jew against Gentile. But more than that, we are in conflict with God. We are in bad shape. We are in terrible condition. We are separate from Christ, Paul describes to these Ephesians who are Gentiles. And he says to them, you're excluded from citizenship in Israel. You are banned. You are barred. You are foreigners to the covenants of promise. You can't enter into them. You're without hope and without God in the world. A description of a man without Christ, separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenant, without hope and without God in the world. And in that last verse, he talks about how those who were far away have been brought near. Now, God's way of communicating with us is incarnation. He came himself to the planet. He became flesh. Not only did he send his word in written form, but knowing this was not enough, he came himself and walked among us. The songwriter called him the stranger of Galilee. I saw how the blind from birth in a moment were made to see. The lame were made whole by the matchless skill of the stranger of Galilee. He came to us, but we didn't know him. He came to his own people. 
they didn't receive him. He was a stranger on the planet, even though he'd made it. He was God in flesh, living among us. Now, I've always wondered why the songwriter said, On a hill far away, I've been to the hill. At the time in which Jesus died, he died outside of the old city wall, arguably in the center of the world. In old Jerusalem, he died. And even today, if you open your paper, Jerusalem will be in the news. It is the city where cultures and religions collide. Every day we read about it. This hill is not far away geographically. It's the center of religion and culture and thought on the planet. But the writer said, on a hill far away, I wonder if I were in Jerusalem, if I could still sing those words from the old rugged cross and say it's on a hill far away where Jesus died. I want to connect in your mind forever the far away place where you were and the far away place where Jesus died. He became one of us. Far from the portals of heaven. Far from the throne room of glory. Far from that place where every need was supplied. Where he ruled before he came. Laying aside all the things familiar to him. He came a distance that we cannot imagine. In fact, that hill where Jesus died was far away, just like you were far away from the God who loved you and the purpose for which he made you and the covenant which he wanted you to enter into. You were far away from citizenship in the family that he longed for you. And God became man. To visit this faraway place where you lived. When Jesus died on that cross, the scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin. That's a faraway place for the perfect Lamb of God. The scripture says that when he died, he cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The God-forsakenness that Jesus felt on the cross was a place far, far away. He'd never been at that place before until he became sin on our behalf. Excluded 
from citizenship he was for you. Barred and banned from the covenant of promise he was for you. Descended into the pit and into the darkness like he'd never done before he did for you. It was a faraway place, the place where you lived, that you occupied spiritually where Jesus died. And that's what the incarnation is all about. I hear people rail against God because of the darkness and the trouble and the pain in the world. I wish they knew the God who became flesh and went to the distant place of suffering and death and embraced the pain for us. Jesus is the stranger who joined us in our God-forsaken place. He loved us that much to come that far. And the scripture says in verse 13, having described the faraway place where we lived, So distant from the plan and purpose of God, the scripture says, but now. You see that in verse 13? But now. In the first part of chapter 2, there is a but God. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, full of mercy, with which he loves you. But God acted in Christ and you were so distant in this faraway place, spiritually, unable to get to God. But now, but now what's happened? But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near. Jesus is the stranger who joined us and the captain who saved us. I'm drawn from another metaphor, as I call him, captain. The old Bible calls him the captain of our salvation. It is the word for pioneer. God has done something for we who were far away in Christ. He sent his one and only son. This is the incarnation. He took our our position in this faraway spot and died there for us. Now, God has acted on us on our behalf who are far away and through the blood of Christ. He has drawn us near. He himself is our peace. There are two types of hostility talked about in this second chapter that Jesus deals with in his incarnation and his death upon the cross. He came to do this. The first hostility to this mentioned is the hostility between Jew and Gentile. It's a, it's a human family issue. Jesus intended on the cross, in his death and sacrifice for us, to do away with the hostility between man and man. When he sends you into the world, on your job and at work, 
And everywhere you go, all your tracks and your paths in the world, when you go into the world, you remember, therefore, what he did for you. And you can only live out the peace of Christ in the world in which you live if you remember the faraway place from which he plucked you. See, in verse 10, when, when the scripture introduces that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, God knows that every time you get out there in the world seeking to do good works, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get disappointed. People are not going to say thank you like you expect that they will. They're going to seem ungrateful at times. It's going to be hard doing good works out there. Therefore, remember when you get sent into your world, when you're on task for Jesus, when you're seeking to be his body in this community, remember where he saved you, where he got you from. Every day you'll need that. You'll need to know how far you were from God, how excluded you were from all of the covenants of promise, how you could not get into the family of God. You were the beggar, you were the poor, you were the needy, and you could not help yourself. And every day you must remember that when you go into the world to do His work. And if you forget, and suppose that you inherited from your birth some privileged place, and you were never far away, then you will resent the people that you discover in the world who are far away from the grace of God and the love of God and the covenant of promise. And you'll give up on them. And you'll give up on yourself. You'll get disappointed and frustrated and confused and wore out seeking to do good in a world where you don't remember where you got rescued from. You remember how far Jesus came to find you. And it won't be too far for you to go to find your brother. If you remember how alienated you were from all the good and love and promises of God, then it won't be too far. To find your alienated friend. The only way. That a follower of Jesus. Can look down on. And bad mouth. And think they are superior. To the man in the ditch. Is when they forget. Where they came from. See, verses 12 and 13 describe us all. So you were born into a Christian family. God bless you, so was I. That's wonderful. So you never got into the world of drugs and pot and violence. Well, I'm happy for you. I'm glad you didn't go there. You were still a filthy, rotten sinner without any hope in this life or the next till Jesus saved you. And your record will never stand before the examination of a God who is perfect. Don't you forget where he found you. Now, He came to free you 
from the pride that makes you feel better. That elevates you above the other. Because it's the pride that builds the barrier. Oh, we're part of the people of God. You know, I'm in the covenant. In the, in the, in the position of the Jew. I've been circumcised. Well, that's amazing. You know, that happened on the eighth day. Before the baby barely conscious, you know. Oh, the pride that says we're the people of God. You know, we're the chosen ones. The captain of our salvation has freed us from the bondage of pride and boasting. And he has taught us that it is the poor in spirit who are called the children of God. The captain of our salvation has freed us from the notion that we have earned God's favor as opposed to anyone else in the world. And the captain has taught us that it is by grace alone that we are saved. The captain has addressed the hostility between me and every brother, sister, man or woman, neighbor that I meet by helping me understand how far away I was before he found me. The other hostility that Jesus addresses in his death upon the cross is the hostility between you and God. You being at enmity with God. And the picture that is used here is the picture of the veil of the temple. The veil that is his body, broken, nailed upon the cross, Spear thrust in his side. What's going on here? The veil is being torn in half from top to bottom. What veil? The veil between the holy place and the most holy place. The veil that covered the holy of holies. Where only the high priest in went in once a year with great fear to this special place where the presence of God was, where the mercy seat was. The veil has been torn from top to bottom, God reaching down from heaven, grabbing it at the top, tearing it to the bottom. What's he doing? He's opened up the most holy place for everybody on the planet who wants to come and be part of the family and enter into the covenant. Everybody can come. The hostility has been dealt with by Jesus' death upon the cross. He's made the way. He's gained you access. You now have access to the holy God in heaven through the death of Christ upon the cross. I know some people don't like that. They don't like to think about Jesus dying in their place and for them. What could that possibly accomplish? What good did that do? Because they want to hang on to their self-righteousness. That I work this out myself. I do it on my own. That may be your plan. It is not the plan of God. 
in all of the death of Jesus. God was working out his plan. The early preachers, Peter and John, said it over and over again. Wicked people killed Jesus, but it was by the foreordained and predetermined counsel of God that it happened. Why? Because this is God's plan for sinful people who cannot rescue themselves. God sent his son. He came in flesh. He died a horrible death upon the cross. And in his death upon the cross, he made the way for your salvation. He is the captain who freed us from the burden of our sin. Now, the last paragraph has this wonderful teaching about the church. And I've summarized it as the hero who welcomes us. Consequently, it says in verse 19, you are no longer foreigners. That's how you started out. You're not foreigners anymore. God has done a wonderful thing in you. He has brought you near through the blood of Jesus. Now you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You've been brought into the family. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. And you're being built into a building in which the Spirit of God dwells. See, God is sending his church out into the world to be His presence, the hands and feet of Jesus. It is incarnation, again, that He is seeking to accomplish through you. God became man in Jesus and now God moves through His church. And his church is how he intends to accomplish his eternal purpose on this planet. God's doing it through his church. Now, I learned a terrible thing this week. I learned that First Baptist Church of Temple, where I was pastor for five years, has been the victim of an arsonist and they lost their sanctuary and their main building because somebody burned it down. Kay Bacon is a friend of ours and she was on the news. We saw it on the web. And when the reporter asked her how she felt about losing the church to fire, she shook her finger in the reporter's face and said, Our church did not burn. Our church did not burn. The building burned. But the church is not a building. It's people. And in the end of this chapter, when he talks about God building a building, it is a metaphor. It is a picture of Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And the church is no more brick and mortar than Jesus is. It is a picture. You know, when we tried to get the old cornerstone down on St. Charles Avenue, 
It was so embedded in the building that we did get in to get the time capsule, but we gave up trying to take out the cornerstone. It was so woven into the structure of the church. Jesus says at one place, I am the door for the sheep. He is the one who welcomes us as we come in to the building of God. He is the one who integrates us into the family so that we are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. He connects us individually from all the different walks of life and all the places where we've been. He connects us together as the family of faith. God does this work in us through Jesus who is the cornerstone. And every person who comes in to the family of God is welcomed by Jesus who is the chief cornerstone. And all of us are busy in his world welcoming new people into the family of faith. It is his intention that we carry the gospel and welcome those folks as they come in and say, welcome to the family of God. I often say, welcome to the family of God after somebody has prayed in faith Repenting of sin, trusting Jesus as Savior. I'll say welcome to the family of God. It's a family of faith built on grace. There is so much more in this text. But I want to leave you with this. God has saved you. So that his spirit can live in you. And so accomplish his purpose. In the world. And just like God. Became man. To bring us our salvation. So we must be. Willing to go. With the spirit living within us. To those who have not heard. Sometimes. The way is difficult. And just like Jesus, we are rejected. That's all right. Sometimes when you're trying to help in the world, the earthquakes rumble and the buildings fall down and you perish with the folks you are seeking to love. That's all right too. He intends for us not to be afraid in our work in the world. For just like the Father sent him to speak the truth and touch the sick and pour out his life on a hill far away, so he sends you into the world to carry his word and minister to those who need it and pour out your life as a servant of Christ. Let's bow together. If you've never trusted Jesus, this would be a great moment just to bow your head and say, Lord, I I know that you died for me on the cross. Please forgive me for my sin and come into my life. 
I give you my heart. Would you make that prayer to Him? Perhaps God is speaking to you about your role as His workmanship and what He is sending you to do. Lord, help us listen. Spirit of God, show us clearly our special calling and assignment. Lord, connect us one to another. Help there be no hostility within the body of Christ between brother and sister, friend and friend. God, help us have a unity of love just like you prayed for. Lord, we pray that you would do your work of reconciliation both between brother and sister and between men and God. And Lord, we pray that you will be pleased as we go into our world with the good news and the good works that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.